You're listening to the Parkview Church Training Podcast, where we equip you to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus Christ. If you'd like to learn more about Parkview or give to our ministry, please visit parkviewchurch.org. Hello, Parkview. This is Thomas Hoke, one of your pastors here at Parkview, and you are joining us for a special conversation about old age, about memory loss, about caretaking for people who are in that uh, stage and having some of those issues. Uh, so why are we talking about this? Well, one reason is that it's just part of being a whole person or what we might think of as a whole disciple. If we are living a, a whole life for Jesus means that many of us, if we are blessed to make it to old age, will eventually deal with issues like this um, or will be caring for someone who is. Um, another reason is that even if you don't end up in that place, or if you can't imagine that, if you're, let's say, maybe a very young person, it's hard to imagine, um, I can almost guarantee you, or I almost, I very much hope so, that you have a friend at Parkview who is dealing with those issues or helping someone who is. Um, and finally, it's because we have an upcoming event uh, where we're going to talk about some of these things. Uh, we have the Matters of Life and Death seminar that's going to deal with some of these issues in addition to just uh, making wise preparation for some of the, the later stages of life that we all deal with as people. And that's on April 15th in the morning. You can find out more in the episode notes below. I am joined by Scott Eberly. Scott, welcome. Thank you. Welcome. Scott, can you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? So I'm Scott Eberly. I'm a internal medicine physician uh, that practices over at the university. Uh, I primarily uh, do geriatric care uh, in nursing homes. And so each day I go to one or two nursing homes and provide uh, care for the patients that live there. Excellent. And so uh, Scott is also serving as an elder here at Parkview. And this is, are you in your second year now? Okay. And heading forward toward a third perhaps? Yes. Okay. If you don't know, our elders work on two-year terms, so that's why, why I say it that way. Um, so how this kind of came up is actually, you know, as partly me as a pastor, just kind of reflecting on our church and, and realizing that many of the people in the church were, well, different to me in that they were dealing with issues of memory loss, old age, um, depression, and some of the things that might come along with it at times, and just having just kind of a pastoral uh desire to learn and be better at caring for you who are listening. Um, and so I found a book, a book called Grace, uh, Finding Grace in the Face of Dementia. Um, There's a book written by a guy called John Dunlop, uh, who is a med medical doctor. He's an MD. And uh, it sounds like has pretty similar kind of work history with Scott here. It's basically, uh, it's probably a 200-page book, and it's probably a, a more of an in-depth dive than most would need, but it found it really helpful. Um, he considers the issue kind of from a theological perspective, from a practical perspective. He talks about medicine involved, uh, the, the prospects for treatment, and all of those things, including how the church can be a better resource for those who are dealing with issues like this. Um, Scott also has been reading through this book, and so we've been kind of side-by-side -side reading this, and, and we thought it would be helpful for us to sit down and and just kind of open up our hearts to you, maybe give some practical help, um, but also just just kind of just, I guess, be a help to you. So um, that's that's basically where we want to start. So here's how I thought we might proceed. Um, 
I'd like to sort of just imagine that I am a person who may suffer with, uh, with what would I even call it? Maybe that's a good place to start. Dementia is the most uh, general term. Mm -hmm. And then within dementia, you have things like Alzheimer's disease, Mm -hmm. um, frontotemporal dementia, Mm -hmm. uh, Parkinson's disease Mm -hmm. can have an element of dementia. Mm -hmm. uh, And, but dementia would be the uh, umbrella term. Okay. And is there anything that kind of holds those things all together? Is it memory? Is it, what, what is it exactly we're talking about? We would call it cognitive impairment. Okay. Uh, and that can be, we think about that is uh, people's inability to process information, mm-hmm. uh, to store information, mm-hmm. uh, or to produce information. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so uh, failing in any of those areas would fit into this category. Okay. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to sort of pretend that I am, I am that person. And I'm just going to ask questions as we go here. So um, now, what, in your experience, what's the first kind of indication that, that someone ends up in a, a doctor's office or at their annual physical or whatever it is where it becomes apparent that there may be something going on in that area? What kind of symptoms, I guess, would that show? Usually uh, it's a spouse or a child uh, that comes in with their spouse or, or parent uh, reporting that uh, the, the patient is exhibiting uh, changes, mm-hmm. uh, sometimes changes in their personality, sometimes forgetting things that they've known how to do, mm-hmm. uh, like balance the checkbook or um, financial issues, mm-hmm. uh, sometimes getting lost, going to a place that they know how to get to, Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes, uh, making a recipe that they've known how to make for years. Yeah. And so I, I end up at the doctor's office and, um, well now let's go back in time. Now let's, (laughs) since I haven't made it confusing enough, um, let's say it's 10 years ago and I, none of those things are there yet for me. And, um, but they're, they're coming. And, you know, based off of some of the statistics we have about this, the progression of certain kinds of things like we're talking about, uh, this is probably a reality for many of us. Um, what kind of thing, things come to mind that you think, boy, if you could go to back in time and when you were younger, before these changes started to come, you could really implant them in your soul. Things that you were, you knew without a doubt, aspects of your character that would prepare you uh, for that, for the moment where you're going to begin a journey of discovering what's going on, um, and what that might mean for you and for your life, which could be really a, a difficult time for you. What kinds of things come to mind for you? Things that we really appreciate in taking care of people with dementia, uh, are, uh, things that the patient previous in their life, uh, have really established. Mm-hmm. So, uh, if they're a musical person, uh, hymns, if they're a, um, if they're are good at uh, memorizing Bible verses, mm-hmm. uh, those are things that were will persevere uh, longer than uh, things that they uh, learn uh, immediately. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, uh, relationships. Mm-hmm. Uh, strong relationships are so helpful mm-hmm. um, in in connecting to someone who is having impairment in their ability to. Um, interact with the environment around them. Mm-hmm. 
So like you said before, often it's not a person coming in. I'm not com- coming in by myself to talk about, you know, hey, I noticed I couldn't find my way home from the grocery store or so forth. It's my spouse. It's my friend. It's often probably my child. Um, many of you who are listening uh, probably know that I, Thomas, uh, lost my grandmother recently. She passed away. And Scott was actually a physician for, for my grandmother. And um, Scott did, this is one of the reasons I thought Scott would be good at doing what we're doing right now is because, you know, just like Scott mentioned right there, the, the aspect of relationships and um, just how, how important it is when you're, anytime you're probably going through a significant kind of difficult situation, it's good to have good family relationships, especially, but perhaps especially when you, you're not exactly thinking like you used to. Um, is there anything special you would sort of commend for maybe especially for people who are um, who have an older, you know, a parent in their life who they're probably caring for and maybe in the place of, of caring for them into this kind of process? Is there anything you would say, man, if every patient came into my office with a, a daughter or son who knew this or where their relationship was characterized by this, it would be just a huge blessing to everyone and a glory to God. Is there anything that comes to mind? Just knowing their loved one well enough to uh, know the things that uh, calm their loved one, Mm -hmm. know the things that aggravate their loved one, um, just what are the the touch points that are going to make that person feel comfortable? Mm -hmm. It's really when you think about uh, the sensory process and these um, uh, cognitive abilities failing, it's like waking up in a hotel room in a foreign city, uh, waking up and not really knowing where you are. Yeah. And so the sooner that we can, uh, get someone grounded, uh, in, in realizing where they are in familiar circumstances and events, uh, the more comfortable they feel, the better they do. Yeah. That's really helpful. Um, yeah, it's, it's not easy. I, I, I love what you mentioned, that analogy you just gave right there about kind of waking up in a hotel room, not sure what's going that kind of. One of the things I found most helpful about this book, Finding Grace in the Face of Dementia, was how he explained kind of what it's like to have, have some of these issues. And I think it, it helped me so much to just grow in compassion for those who are suffering from this and to, um, I think, just the humility. You know, I... Uh, my mother predeceded my grandmother. And so in, in many ways we, we gave care to my grandma that often, you know, as her grandparents that often would come from uh, a child or from a spouse. And there were times that was really difficult. And um, I sort of wish that I had read this book way, you know, 10 years ago and, and had just thought of, thought of things from a different perspective. Um, so back to our, our little example. Um, I'm, I'm in that position. I'm, I'm, beginning to exhibit some signals that something's going on. Um, what exactly is going on medically that we, that we understand? So depending on the dementing process, it, it could be a, a few different uh, pathophysiologies, but uh, ultimately it's the degeneration of the brain. Yeah. Uh, in Alzheimer's, that's neurofibrillary tangles and amyloid deposition. Mm-hmm. Um, in Parkinson's disease, it's the... Uh, degeneration of the substantia nigra. There's mm-hmm. um, uh, just depending on the area of the brain that's being uh, affected mm-hmm. that 
tends to uh, give us our clinical syndrome. Yeah. Um, yeah. So really, when you are interacting with uh, a patient, uh, you just think that uh, they have some areas of their brain that just uh, really aren't working. Mm-hmm. Got it. And from a, if that's kind of from a, the medical science of it, what about um, kind of the, what, what's the diagnosis process like for some in that situation? Uh, most commonly, uh, we do um, a, the book uh, identifies it as a mini IQ test. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's a number of different screening tests uh, that we use testing people's short-term memory, mm-hmm. uh, their ability to do calculations like simple math or spelling. Um, and so really this is a clinical diagnosis uh, mm-hmm. most commonly. So mm-hmm. we'll give a test like that. We'll see some impairments and then we'll make the diagnosis. Yeah. Depending on how um, deep someone wants to get into it, there's a more in-depth type screening test or uh, uh, a test to um, make that diagnosis. Uh, there are some uh, tests on the cerebral spinal fluid mm. Uh People generally don't do that. Sounds painful. Because it's, yeah. A <laughs> I want bit. my fluid to stay in my spine. Thank That's you. right. Yep. Um, so for the most part, really, it's a clinical diagnosis based on this IQ yeah. test. Yeah. Now, I'm imagining if I'm going through that process, the thought that I'm coming into the doctor's office and then they're going to say, okay, now we're going to test your IQ. Might or wait, it was a mini IQ test. I know what you. I don't know what you call it in your practice. Maybe something different. <laughs> but, but I I would imagine that if I'm someone sitting there, I'm thinking, well, you guys think I'm a dummy? <laughs> yes. You know. So what's it? What's it like as a physician, or if you're thinking of a caretaker who's bringing someone in, just navigating that process and helping helping someone kind of come to the conclusion if they're if they're able to that I am undergoing this. You know, I have this disease going on. How do you do that? Again, with um, people really, uh, people's identities frequently uh, is grounded in their their cognitive abilities and their knowledge. Mm-hmm. And so when I come in and say, yours aren't working so great, yeah, uh, that's pretty offensive. Yeah, And so I treat it uh, pretty lightly uh, and try and get them to lead me down there. Mm-hmm. And so I'll start with, have you noticed that you know, your, your brain's not working like it used to. Yeah. Or, um, that, uh, that you're not remembering things like you used to. Yeah. And if I can get affirmation there, uh, then that opens the door to say, okay, well, let's kind of see where we are. Yeah. Uh, and then we'll do the, uh, the cognitive test mm-hmm. and have a sense. Yeah. In the initial evaluation, we also always look for reversible things. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a few reversible things, like people's thyroid being off. Uh, there's a disease called normal pressure hydrocephalus, where there's too much pressure in the brain that mm-hmm. can be relieved with a shunt. Mm-hmm. And so there are some things uh, that are reversible. We want to make sure that those aren't going on before we settle in on an actual diagnosis of dementia. Yeah. And I remember as I, we were discussing this book just briefly, um, that you said, well, I'm not sure I agree, or maybe you didn't say I'm not sure I'd agree, but, you know, we we would do these things a little bit differently, it looks like, especially when it came to, you know, how much do you share, 
how much is right to share with the patient, how much is going to be helpful for them, I guess. Not that you're withholding information, but what's helpful to share. Um, what was that that you, you saw? I, I think when we first talked mm-hmm. about your your grandmother, and I, and I got a sense that she wasn't thrilled with her diagnosis, yeah. um, uh, I said, we really should tell her this once. Mm-hmm. But we don't have to tell it to her every day. Yeah. Uh, and that's, uh, in the book, they suggest that, uh, some people you just don't give the diagnosis to, mm-hmm. and I guess I'm not really comfortable with that. Yeah. Um, the one other kind of middle ground you could say to the patient, if your diagnosis is dementia, do you want to know that? Yeah. And if they say no, then that gives you freedom to, mm-hmm. uh, work with family, work around them. Yeah. Okay. Well, that, that maybe brings us to a little turning point then. If, if, if at that point we're thinking, okay, I'm still thinking to myself, I'm the person suffering. Now let's sort of think of I'm, I'm the person that's um, – well, actually, I want to ask one more question. I want to go one level deeper, which is what's, what is this kind of experience going to be like for me from, from here until kind of the, the end stage of this disease? Um, what's, what's kind of going to happen this as is, far as we know, I guess? This is rough. Yeah. Um, it's a gradual uh, loss of identity. Mm. Um, and, you know, your ability first, uh, usually what goes first is uh, short-term recall. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, what did you have for breakfast? Or frequently a complaint we get from family members is uh, they keep repeating everything. Yeah. Uh, or they ask the same questions over and over again. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's initial. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it, that starts to spread out uh, a little longer. So then they start to forget things that they've known how to do uh, or experiences that they've had mm-hmm. uh, a little further back. Yeah. And so one of the tools there is uh, we kind of find out where they are. Uh, mm-hmm. I ask them what year do they think it is. Yeah. Uh, and that gives us a little uh, uh, place to kind of see at what date – or their age should we be conversing? Mm-hmm. Um, and then it can progress to um, personality changes. Mm-hmm. Uh, it can progress to the point that they are unable to do their basic activities of daily living, mm-hmm. uh, getting dressed, walking, mm-hmm. uh, getting cleaned up. Mm-hmm. Um, that's when we start thinking about uh, involving a nursing home. Uh, yeah. And, um, and then it just uh, can continue to progress um, with further um, decline uh, yeah. over time. Okay. Yeah. Um, now I remember before we before we hopped on the microphones, just asking you a little bit about kind of you know two scenarios that I know of. You know, in one case, you know, a man who uh, you know I knew um, who, as he aged, became seemed to become you know, and he was dealing with some neurological you know uh, changes as well was dealing with those and just in his old age became sweetened and kind of just gentle and patient and seemed to just kind of concede to what was happening to him. Just super thankful. And on the other hand, a a gal who kind of the opposite, you know, as, as time went on, she became really irritable, difficult to be around. Just, just not a, not a fun, kind of a bitter person. And, you know, it, it was hard for me not to sort of compare those two and say, aha, you know, was, was one of them sort of, was that just their character coming out? Was that, was one of them less spiritual mature? 
was the gal not a, not even a Christian who seemed to have been before? It just made me think how much of uh, how much of those changes, if any, do we do we account to changes in the brain, change, just merely physical changes, so to speak? And how much of that is is an underlying kind of spiritual reality? And I thought your answer was really helpful. Do you mind just kind of answering that one? Yeah, I think uh, as uh, these disease processes progress, uh, we tend to lose our ability um, to, uh, our filter uh, yeah. goes away. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so uh, our social graces tend to uh, fall away uh, and we don't cover things quite as well uh, to fit into our community quite as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it's... Uh, but also thinking about the difference in those two scenarios, uh, the second one isn't necessarily worse. It just really reflects someone who's passionate and driven. And maybe that comes from a place where uh, they want to just keep going as long as they can serving the Lord. So Mm -hmm. it doesn't necessarily uh, have to be a a negative, Mm -hmm. uh, but it does have to be addressed differently than uh, the first individual. Yeah. Yeah. Well, with that in mind, let's let's maybe think a little bit about now I'm in the role of caregiver. Okay. Um, and just for, for convenience sake, I don't know, let's let's say we've we've reached the point where this the diagnosis is beginning to become apparent, you know, and this you know, the person I'm caring for is dealing with these things and and they they realize it and I, it's in in most cases, well, maybe you can just give us just some general what will it be like for me as a caregiver? What will sort of be required of me and um, that kind of thing? What What's involved? It's a tough job. Mm-hmm. Um, and what makes it tough is you never know really what you're dealing with. Mm-hmm. Uh, people with dementia are going to be very sensitive uh, to changes in environment. Mm-hmm. They're going to be sensitive to fatigue. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're going to be sensitive to medication changes. Mm-hmm. And so you never know really what you're going to get when you walk in the door. Mm-hmm. And so as a caregiver, uh, you really have to be kind of flexible uh, and understanding, um, trying to react to these different uh, scenarios that you that you encounter. Mm. Yeah. And so I know for some people who are in the caregiving role, that's a basically a full-time job for them. You know, at least at a certain point, it becomes sort of a full-time job. And until they're talking about, you know, perhaps getting some assistance, of course, that's not available necessarily for everyone or to the same degree as it, as it is to, to, to others. Um, what, what advice would you give? Sort of the same question we thought about before. If we could go back in time 10 years before they began to sort of, before that diagnosis came in and changed their life, what kind of things would you say you're going to really want to press this into your heart before this process begins? What would you name? As the caregiver? Uh, yeah, for the caregiver. That's right. Uh, as a caregiver, uh, I just want to uh, really establish um, the definition of agape love, Mm -hmm. um, that, uh, true love, uh, involves sacrifice. Mm -hmm. And this is the, uh, love that Jesus exhibited to us Mm -hmm. and, uh, the love that he asks us to, uh, exhibit toward, uh, toward others. Mm -hmm. Uh, that is 
frequently the nature of this relationship. And it's not as though you're not without any um, positive uh, response from the patient. Mm-hmm. Um, but frequently it is more taxing um, than it is beneficial while it's happening. Yeah, I will say that most caregivers afterwards, after the patient has passed, uh, will tell me that they are so glad uh, that they invested that time and energy mm-hmm. uh, while they had the opportunity. Yeah. Yeah, I, I know I've been so impressed with the examples that I have seen of people who have committed to this, you know, and if it's your spouse, you have committed to this, you know, this long-term caregiving role and, you know, doesn't always look the same for every, every couple, so to speak, or whoever it is. But um, there's a responsibility that we have with those, with those loved ones, especially when, if you're married to them and carrying that forward. I remember there was a, uh, a professor at my seminary who, you know, is just well known that his wife was suffering from a degenerative disease. Um, I don't remember exactly what it was, but it was, it was just known that he was not going to be available for, for large, I forget what the period of the day was, but every day he would be with his wife and he was not, he was not an old man. I think he was in his middle fifties and it was sort of an early onset sort of situation, but he was so committed to her. He, he would not leave her side. He would not leave her, you know, in, in where she was being cared for. Um, and he was just vigilant and, and cared for her. Um, even though, you know, much of the time she wasn't able to understand what was going on. Um, and so I just had the highest respect for, him and for those who are going through this, I know there are people who are going to listen to this who are right now are caregivers um, and many more who will become caregivers at one point or another. And I just have so much respect for you. And I know, you know, one of the things I found really helpful in the, in the book that we read is just the emphasis on the image of God in those who are suffering from these kinds of um, illnesses and that we remember that um, our our identity before the Lord as people made in his image is not based on our intellect or our uh, capacity or our capabilities um, to even, you know, take care of the, mo- the basic things in our lives, just like a baby's, you know, uh, value isn't established by that. And so, um, so I found that that really helpful. At the same time, just like Scott has pointed out, it's a big job and often a relentless job. Um, the needs don't seem to get easier, you know, to manage, but they're going to become, you know, more significant as, as the disease progresses and so forth. Um, and I think Scott's given some really good, good pointers there. Um, anything else you would add on that one? I think we're going to get to this, but I'll jump the gun. Go for it. Go for it. Um, we really have to be cognizant of the workload of the caregiver. That's right. Um, the author points out uh, in the book that it's not unusual for a caregiver actually to develop significant health issues or even pass yeah. uh, before the patient because mm-hmm. it's such a heavy burden. Yeah. Yeah. And I've, I've seen that work in, in my own family and um, where, you know, one grandparent was just flat out ca- caring for the other while suffering uh, herself. And, and so it's not at all uncommon. And, um, and, uh, that leads us nicely into thinking about, you know, one of the, one of the sections I really appreciated in the book was also had to do with how the church can be a help to those either facing the situation or who are caring for those. Um, so, uh, 
what are some what are some things you would point out if you think about us as a church? How can we be a place where this this issue is not put into a corner, but that is is cared for and known and all the rest? I think uh, the important thing here is uh, to look for opportunities to be involved, mm-hmm. uh, but don't necessarily um, approach in such a way that. Uh, we feel like we have the answers. Mm. Uh, We have to give uh, the patient respect Mm -hmm. in terms of uh, identifying uh, what they uh, want help with. Mm -hmm. Uh, For instance, uh, we had a church member this morning uh, who was walking in, and uh, she had some disabilities, and her shoes were untied. Mm -hmm. And so I asked if I could tie her shoes. Mm -hmm. And she said, that would be great. And mm-hmm. So I tied her shoes. Mm-hmm. Um, much better than just jumping in and getting down there and tying yeah. her shoes without permission. Yeah. Because maybe she uh, had her shoes untied because that's the only way she can get her shoes on and off. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if I tie them and double knot them, yeah. she'll never be able to recover. Yeah. So in the same way, um, we really want to provide a service uh, that's helpful uh, in a very humble way, mm-hmm. um, what people need is across the board. Mm. Uh, sometimes maybe they just need a ride. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes uh, they need someone just to be there. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe they want someone to read the Bible with them. Yeah. Uh, maybe they want someone to sing. Uh, you never really know mm-hmm. uh, until you ask. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but just really engaging in these people's lives is, I think, what glorifies God most. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. I was actually, I was meeting with a, a chaplain at the university at the hospital uh, just this last week. Well, I don't know when this episode will go out, but uh, recently, let's call it. And, um, you know, I, I was asking her, how can the church be a blessing and how can we just make sure our people are cared for and just coordinating with them? And one of the things that she mentioned to me was it'd be great, you know, pastors, whoever, you know, church people are always welcome to come help, but often people are afraid to ask. And um, that, frankly, just kind of broke my heart um, to think that, you know, people, part few people, you would be in need and think, well, I don't want to be a hassle or, you know, I'm, they're too busy for me, so forth. And so let me speak as uh, having not asked for their permission, but knowing that they want this, <laughs> that we, especially as I think of our staff, our pastors, we want to be available to you. And, you know, we, we want to be helpful. And as, as we think through these issues, you know, we're here we are, we're doing a podcast about this. We care about this. Um, we don't want this to be a place where, you know, we, we talk, we haven't seen you in six months. We ask how things are going. You say, well, we, we haven't been able to come to church because so-and-so had this diagnosis and have that be the first moment we find out. And of course we want to respect people's privacy and, you know, we totally understand that at the same point we want to be, want to be a blessing. And I, I thought there were some really helpful, just practical things that were spelled out in the book that Dunlop talks about. Um, you know, and I, I think it really does come down to relationships you know, I, I think it's really helpful for me to know that just just to understand the burden that people suffering and that caregivers are under, that in many ways that it can be almost sort of a just a really consuming aspect of, of life for them as they're going through some of these things. Um, it helped me understand it kind of in hindsight 
certain, you know, conversations I've had with people years ago where I felt kind of frustrated and now I feel silly for having been frustrated. Um, it helped me just, just enter the world of the people that are, are dealing with this issue. Um, he also mentioned, you know, having relationships where if there's, there can be sort of reciprocal needs that can be met. You mentioned kind of needs being across the board. Um, there might be financial needs. There might be, and I would point to our benevolence fund for those who, you know, who are willing to apply. We have money set aside every dollar that's given to Parkview Church. Part of it goes to that fund to take care of members who have, who have tangible needs like that. Um, if you're thinking of prayer, we have our prayer list. And I would encourage people, you know, the need for whatever patience, if you're a caregiver, the need for, you know, asking for, for a sign of affection from the one you're caring for, for, I don't know, just any, for a good diagnosis, a good, whatever it happens to be, we want to pray for you. Um, and then I think of the, the extremely practical down to, you know, caregivers need a break. Um, and I can imagine there, there could be a real temptation to sort of feeling resentful, feeling like this is, this is really difficult. How do I handle this? I never get a break kind of feeling trapped. And so I, I don't have a clear kind of what are we going to do about this, but I, I think as, as community groups, whatever it is, if, if people are around those who have that kind of need, of course, uh, if I'm someone, if I'm a caregiver, I want the person who's going to sit with my loved one to be the right person. I want that person to feel safe in that environment. You know, I want it to be a good and healthy and helpful thing. Um, but that's a, that's a really probably a good way. Would you agree? Mm-hmm. that you could you could really bless someone who's taking care of someone and bless the person themselves, right? Yep, and even um, coming alongside, you know, if, if there's a patient in a hospital or in a nursing home and uh, their loved one is visiting them, uh, just joining that. Yeah. You don't necessarily have to replace them, mm-hmm. uh, but just joining that because yeah. then you affirm, uh, the caregivers, uh, what they're seeing, mm-hmm. uh, they don't have to be alone as they're caregiving for this patient. Um, and they, uh, it just provides more support. Yeah. That's a really good one too. Um, is there anything else that comes to mind as far as, Oh, actually one of the questions I was wanting to ask you was, um, let's say it's Sunday morning. We're in the church lobby and I, See Billy and I don't other made up name Stacy. Yeah, these are my made up names I always use. Bill and Stacy and I maybe I know or maybe I don't know that Stacy has recently you know has been diagnosed with some kind of you know disease like we're talking about now. Um, is that something I should just ignore? Is that something? Let's say I should I go still have a conversation with that person? Would that be irritating or rude or do they want to be left alone? Um, do I need to talk really slow or can you just help us just kind of give me the idiot's guide to how to, how to interact with someone who's, who's in that way? Yeah. I think uh, you just have to have your senses on. Yeah. Uh, Cause everybody's going to be a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say a common thing for someone who has moderate dementia mm-hmm. um, or more uh, that it is very important to uh, not necessarily talk slowly, but wait for the answer. Okay. Um, it'll take uh, that patient uh, a little bit more time to process, mm-hmm. uh, and they'll get it out. 
but you have to wait for it. And then just uh, be observant of their cues. Mm. You know, if they appear uncomfortable as you approach, uh, then you'll want to give them some more space. Mm-hmm. Uh, see, maybe make eye contact. See if they'll approach you. Mm-hmm. Uh, if they're really just focused on you know, getting in the door and getting to their seat, mm-hmm. that's probably not a great time to interrupt them for a conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and probably... Uh, think about setting up a meeting uh, for later that's not uh, interrupting. You know, yeah. People, uh, as they get into this uh, type of situation, like their routine. Mm-hmm. They like things to happen how they think they're going to happen. Yeah. Their capacity to adjust is more limited. And so uh, just allowing them to uh, plan and follow routine is helpful. Okay, that's great. And what I what I hear that you didn't say, but you were really saying the whole time is don't ignore them, is go go toward them. I can imagine how isolating some of this would feel, and it, it'd have to be important for us not to kind of pretend like nothing's happening, stop talking to them, that kind of thing, right? Right. Yeah. Um, and yes, engage them, but figure mm-hmm. out what the right environment for that is. Mm-hmm. Is that in their home? Is that uh, in a class? Is that mm-hmm. You know, what, where are they most comfortable? Yeah. Wonderful. Well, you know what? One thing Scott mentioned, you mentioned before we got started too, was just how the, the, just the disease of dementia, the phenomena of it in our society, just so much cuts against what we tend to just hold so, so dear. You know, you mentioned, um, you know, our intellect, uh, we hold that as kind of our, an idol, you know, one of the most important things in our world, our intellect, our, our, uh, capacity, our athletic performance, you know, we hold, here we are, it's national championship day, by the way, now, you know, when we're recording this and, and so forth and how, um, how dementia really kind of cuts away at all those things that in many ways can make us feel like life is really meaningful, our identity, like you said. And, and so when I, when I consider that, I think, well, that's true. And, and so I think it opens up a door for us as Christians, both on the one hand to really, I hope, uh, be so well-formed in Christ that we're able to face that. Um, it's it's probably coming for most of us, you know, that we'll have some of these changes happen to one degree or another, to face that with a different kind of uh, posture of spirit, a different kind of feeling about it, not in, in total dread, not feeling paralyzed by its coming, but knowing, resting in the Lord's goodness, knowing um, that he'll be with me in that Uh I know uh, there also another thing I found really helpful in this book was he talks about how um, how this disease can actually help us grow spiritually, which I thought was really helpful. So if you're would recommend it for that, too. Um, But I also think for us as a church, for us as a community, I think Scott's right. We're really railing against some of all some of the most dearly held kind of values of our culture that if we were to become a community uh, well known for caring for people who are in this stage of life, where it's a place to, to belong for those who, who are suffering in this way, that would be such a countercultural thing. And I'm, I'm reminded of earlier in the book of Acts, you might remember when, when the Apostle Paul and his, his crew were accused of turning the world upside down. Um, I think that's what the world upside down would look like, would look like um, the people who are suffering from the kinds of things that the world kind of would like to maybe put them over in a box. We don't want to see you, don't want to have you kind of, you remind us of, the things we're all trying to avoid, but rather if those people were uh, embraced, if the people caring for them were cared for, 
and they were acknowledged in all of their humanity and dignity and that we did all that we can to remind them how much the Lord loves them. Now, that sounds like heaven on earth. That sounds like what we all want. Agreed. Yes. And so uh, if you're listening to this, I hope you're encouraged to take whatever a next step of faith might look like, whether that's just um, encouraging those around you who are either dealing with this or helping those who are. Um, maybe it's just growing in your awareness and thinking about growing in your character as you as you think about these things. Um, maybe it's just just silently praising the Lord for, for the way he has made the world and for the opportunities in front of us here. Um, but let's move forward together. Thank you so much, Scott. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah. So thankful for your expertise. And I really do. I just honor Scott. Uh, he was such a help when we were going through things with my grandma. So I'm just, I just really appreciate you. Um, and so we will, uh, we will join you again for the next time we're doing this. Have a good week. Good. That was just what I was hoping for. Good. I felt like I was a little clunky, but oh, well.